This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Luke 2, starting in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Amen. Can you give a hand of praise for the reading of the word? You may be seated. Thank you so much. I, I, I'm excited to have you here at the end of the year. Thank you for making uh, a concerted effort to be part of landing the plane this year in December. 
uh, 31st almost coming anyway. But thank you. How many of you enjoyed this weird year? <laughs> it's, it's been a strange one for sure. Uh, if you don't know, and I just made a comment, it has been a strange year. I don't think just strange because of politics. I mean, that's expected in our country. Every four years we get kind of weird with politics and the thing that go on. But, but in the sense of the spiritual battle that I believe has been raging over the last year. Uh, and I say that because of things that I've just watched going on, fears, anxieties that have escalated. And, uh, and we kind of find ourselves with... You know, what's going on in our world, what's going on in our country politically, maybe even your family, jobs, health, and things of that nature. And then in my family, it's been a, a, a year that I don't ever hope I have to repeat. It's not been fun. It's not been something I woke up was part of my bucket list that my sweet bride would get a diagnosis of breast cancer. We didn't want to deal with that. And then my granddaughter, Michael and Olivia's little baby, uh, being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Those are two things that as this year was coming to a close that I didn't want to deal with. Uh, I didn't start the year planning on it, but but it hit us pretty hard and kind of knocks the breath out of you and you have to shake yourself and really come to the position of what do we believe? What does our faith believe? What, what, do, what are we going to stand on? What are we not? Are we just going to lay around and cry? Are we going to whine and pout and blame everything? Or are we going to dust ourselves off? And so through this, I really felt like just to try to share with you what I believe faith is. It's such a wide belief, uh, you know, from if you have enough faith, you can do anything to, well, I, I thought I had a lot of faith, then why? And it's the if God, then why moments of life. The If God's a healer, why are people sick? If God answers prayer, why did mine not get answered? If he's good, why do bad things happen? And so that if, then, why becomes part of faith and we work it out and the way we humans work it out is in things called denominations. We find out what we believe, we create a domination and we believe that. Whether God always heals, God heals everybody, God heals some people, God heals nobody. And then we humans box God into that to make sense out of God because he's kind of nonsensical to human logic. But boxing him in little neat packages helps me understand him and then we create religion and then we try to live the rules and the regulations to make sense out of him. And sometimes it's just not all that pretty with God to figure that out. Like how do I box God up when God's outside of my realm? He's, he's an, an eternal God. He's different than me. He thinks different than me. He works differently than me. And so I, about four weeks ago, felt to, to teach on the faith. And then I labeled it of a skeptic trying to um, you know, look at me, my life. And how I was raised in a family, uh, very big on giving, uh, praying in the spirit, um, word of faith. You, you know, your mouth is your destiny. You speak life. You, you never speak death. God is a healer. We anointed everything with oil in my family because if you anoint with oil, we cast out devils. I grew up that way, very alive faith, and I've talked about that, but... Um, trying to balance the if God is this, then why? Why the battle? Why the what makes sense of it? So I want to go to the scripture that we started it off in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. And so we've landed to this thought that in this thing we call life, sometimes we bump into things that we just can't make sense out of. 
We just don't see it. Uh, it's hard to see. Why do kids die? Why do families divorce? Why does sickness hit people? Why did this person die young? That person died old. I don't even understand it. And we try to figure all this out. And so faith kind of comes in to say, well, there's this reality. And it doesn't seem to be my reality because my reality is sickness, problems, suffering on the earth, evil on the earth. And then there's this faith that says, but there's a healer, there's a miracle worker, there's this God that can do all these things and he's this wonderful God and he can accomplish all this stuff. And, and then it kind of lands, your faith lands on, okay, good, I serve God because I, I, want, I want what God can do for me and, and he can heal me and he can fix me and he can put me back together and he can give me a home and he can do all these things for me. He can bless my life and he can give me a family and he can help me get into college and he can give me a new car and he can give me a raise and he can fix everything. He kind of the cosmic mechanic, he fixes it all. And that kind of is the life of faith. I need God in my life. So as I've been thinking that through, I wanted to just land the plane this month uh, with something that, you know, it might not preach fun, but I think it's necessary. I think it's necessary for us to land on it, never forget it, because once you get it, your life is never the same. Ryan, once you really land on this truth, it, it's, it's never the same. And when you hold on to it. And so what I'm going to share with you today is something I've held on to. When the winds are blowing, when uh, my sweet bride's in the bathtub crying, when you know things just don't seem to be working, the prayers don't work, and you got daughters that are crying, you got a wife that's crying, I'm crying, dogs are crying. You know, just like everybody's crying. Like, Where is this God of peace? Where's the healer God? Where's the God of joy? Where's the God of all comfort? You know, and you kind of just have to shake yourself. And so I've been shaking myself, asking, do I really believe what I say I believe? Do I believe what I teach to you? Do I believe what the Bible says is true regardless? And so that's what I want to share with you today that I pray will... I don't know what's coming 2021, right? I mean, we're all kind of like, eh, here it comes. We, we hope it's not 2020's cousin, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't believe uh, that we have to fear it. And what I share with you today, I hope ignites a boldness of faith in you. And I hope when you walk out the door today, you don't just hear a message, but you get a revelation of faith and what real faith is that's applicable to everybody in the room. So let's jump back to Luke chapter 2 where Victoria Kate was reading. And let's see if we can't unpack this whole thing of faith and what it really means and Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother. Now, this is the girl who we said is 15, who took a huge step of faith, all right, uh, to say to God, I'll be pregnant by you. I might die. I may get stoned. But we know the story. They hid her away with her cousin Elizabeth for several months. She had the baby, so they didn't either, either they did not find out in the community, they hid it very well because typical law was if you're pregnant without a husband, they kill you, they kill you and the baby. And so she took a big step of faith when Mama Mary said yes to God, but she survived the nine months. She births a kid, we're eight days in. So this is a new mama, a teenage mama at best. So we're talking about a 16-year-old mama, she's eight days into it. I'm sure she feels pretty like, oh, wow, I've birthed God. 
Like, it really was true. Like, I got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, never been with a man. I'm still a virgin. Out comes God. Eight days later, baby God's in the arms, nursing at the breast. And they walk back into the temple. They bump into a prophet named Simeon who's been there a long time. This is what he says to mother, eight-day-old mama. Said to Mary, the baby's mother, the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. It doesn't seem like it's a great start to motherhood. That the kid I'm holding in my arm is going to cause such problems with people. And yet to some be a great blessing and to others seemingly not a blessing at all. And that's the thing that faith does. Faith becomes the dividing line between your life rising or your life falling. It's the dividing line that separates it all. And it was even prophesied to Jesus that there's coming a kid. Mary wants you to know he's the son of God, but we want you to know about this son of God. Some will rise to the occasion and others will fall, but he will be the one that will be stuck in the middle on what the real measurement of success of life is. In other words, you cannot even measure the rising success of life or the falling detriment of life without measuring it against the life of God. You cannot measure it against your your prodigy. You cannot measure it against your family. You cannot measure it against your retirement account. You can't measure it against the homes you build or the life you live or the things you accomplish or the degrees you earn or the accolades on the wall. The rising and falling of life is only measured against God to what is successful and what is non-successful. And this was prophesied about the baby. So mom's holding a little baby and this little baby in my hand is going to be the measuring stick of what real success is. I become the measuring stick of was it worth living or not living. The measuring stick of was my my life worth this on the planet or was it not. And then he goes on to say, he is a sign from God and many will oppose him. What mother wants to hear, I just went through nine months of this to bear God and now your first words to me are negativity? You don't have anything better to tell me? Because see, faith is never to deal with the negative. Faith is all positive. All good things happen to me. Everything comes my way is good, 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 good. I never want to talk about bad. I never want to associate faith with anything negative. Faith is just all the positive vibes. Give me positive vibes. That's what faith is. So she's holding the Son of God and he says, Oh, yeah, that is a sign of God, but many are going to oppose him. In other words, at the very start of Jesus' life, it's already prophesied that most people just won't get it. Many are going to oppose him. How could you oppose God? He's so gentle. He's so loving. He's so kind. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the healer. He's the Redeemer. He's Yahweh. He's I Am. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. How could you oppose that? How could you oppose somebody that has come to redeem the world from its sorrows and yet as I hold this child so proud that he's God, proud that mama's birthed him, I get this negativity that he's going to be the dividing line between success and failure. And also just know this so you don't get lost. Most people are not even going to believe it. Most are going to reject everything he stands for. And it's true to this day. 
Even Jesus will kind of clue into it when Jesus says, many are called, but few will make it. Few are chosen. The road with me is very narrow. He even lends itself into taking, when you look at the statistics, earthly statistics, he's a major failure, earthly stats. 5,000 people he feeds, 4,000 more he feeds. He does these miracles. That's 9,000 people at minimum of 9,000 people. That's just men and, you know, men and women. That's not necessarily all the children and sometimes not even all the women. But let's say in his earthly career, 10,000 people, that's a mega ministry, a mega church, and only 120 wind up in the upper room. That means that the Son of God, out of 10,000 plus people he reached in three years, obviously a lot more, but he got 100 people out of 10,000? You fire those people. Those aren't the Son of God. That's terrible statistics that 120 people out of thousands upon thousands end up in this upper room of having an experience with the living God. And yet it's true, many opposed Him. Many just don't get it. They're like, this is stupid. This religion thing is weird. This God thing, this Messiah thing is just... And it's even true today There's a lot of people that maybe know Jesus is something of God. They may not know what, but they still oppose Him. In other words, their life never reaches the measurement of rising up to be all that we can be as a human. So that the opposition means that my life falls short. My life falls short of what He would want out of me. My life falls short of the things He expects of me. And many are going to oppose him, meaning this, and this just stings a mite. Those of us in the room who choose to live by faith will be a very small minority of people. This giddiness that the whole world is going to be giddy for him and everybody in your high school is going to be giddy for him is just not very likely. Most people oppose him. And it's few people who just go, I'm going to serve him regardless. Who become the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And it's not necessarily a fun group to be with. You're in the group that's kind of the standalone, the weird, the strange, the unordinary. It's the you're looked at differently. You don't even do life the way the world does it, so the world opposes it. And we live in a generation where we look at people like Anna Grace and we say, serve the Lord. And then we realize, well, not everybody, my friends are really doing it. And then I feel weird and I feel alone and I feel tired and do my prayers really work? And then, verse 35, as a result, and this is what I've noticed about faith, the deepest thoughts of many hearts are revealed. The one thing pain and suffering will do is reveal the real you. You really want to know what you're made of. Wait till you hit a problem. And the real you cannot be hidden. And faith, this is the Son of God. It says the Son of God reveals the deepest thoughts. The Son of God is the thing that really this this deciding factor of life reveals who you really are. That every time a pain or problem comes at you, Shiloh, what it will do to Shiloh is it will split him open and he will have to determine my deepest thoughts are being revealed in the pain and suffering that I'm going through. Our deepest thoughts are rarely revealed when life is good. We can fake it when life is good. 
I can write the check when life is good. I can help other people when life is good. I can, I can work a great job and move toward retirement when everything goes my way. My deepest thoughts can be hidden when I'm really not up against the wall. But you back somebody against the wall with bad news. You push them against the wall with things that didn't go. You let the wife see a husband threatening divorce or somebody cheated on me. Or you get the bad news. And what it will do is it opens and exposes the deepest side of your life. Why? Because it was meant to do that. It was, it was meant to open you up to see what will your life be valued by. Is your life valued by the fall or is your life valued by the rise? Is your life valued by the things that oppose you or is your life valued by the things that are for you? It's your job to do faith. But nobody wants to talk about this side of faith because it's the, it's the oppositions, it's the battles, it's the pains that come, it's the bad news that hits us, that takes us by surprise. It doesn't grow big churches. It doesn't get butts in the seats when you start telling people that there's this, there's this opposition of life that comes against us. But that's why we've been given faith. And now here's baby mama rocking Jesus like, oh, he's... Man, there's going to be so many little kids that just are for you and so many that don't like you. You're going to go to school and you're not going to have many friends. But mama loves you. You won't have a lot of people that love you. Oh, but mama loves you. Mama's here for you. Anybody, as my dad told me, son, you ever get a tattoo, make sure it says mama, she'll be with you forever. That's great advice, right? Oh, that's brilliant. If I ever get a tattoo, it'll say mom, right? Um, the deepest thoughts, you know, I'm here for you. And but, 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 Simeon's not finished. Because, mother, this life of fate you chose, a sword is going to pierce your very soul. And that's just not fun. This is not what I wanted to hear because I said yes to God. I wanted to hear, I'll never be hurt, everything's going to go my way. All my prayers will be answered and life is rosy. Please do not prophesy to me that a sword will pierce my soul. Why would God ask me to birth this kid and then tell me he's going to pierce my soul? Why would God ask me to do this for him? I say yes, did my part. I'd like him to do his part. Why is he now prophesying at eight days old? Why wouldn't you tell me this before I said yes? You should have told me they would pierce my soul and nobody would like my kid before I ever said I would have a kid. Because everybody else on the street loves their kids, but you've asked me to raise a kid hardly any people are going to love. And oh, by the way, I, mom, am going to pay a high... I'm going to pay the high price? And so at the onset of being a mother, you're now connected to this journey of faith, weird though may it seem, sometimes in the journey of faith, life pierces your soul. And it's not fun... It's not romantic. Sometimes it comes because of your own stupidity. Life pierces your soul. Sometimes it comes because the hate, anger, and bitterness of other people. Life pierces your soul. The one thing about the pure soul, nobody ever asks for it and rarely desires it. But I've met few, if not any, that in their faith walk have never not been pierced. Somebody did them wrong. Life hurt them. I was sad. I, I, I wondered where God was. I, I was praying. There were no answers. I, and the soul becomes pierced. To me, it's the deepest level of where real faith 
is put to the test. When you get the call, your son is probably brain dead. And it pierces the soul of my mother to hear that my older brother was probably going to be brain dead in a vegetable for the rest of his life. When it touches you personally, it pierces your soul. And when it does, you better know the real you will come out. You cannot hide it now. You'll either lay in a bathtub and wonder why you've been pierced, depressed, miserable, running to every habit, every addiction. Why, poor pitiful me. And you will go to the falling side of faith. Or you will turn your head and your shoulders toward heaven. And you will rise to the occasion. And out of that occasion of the pierced soul, you will either draw closer to the Father or you will run from the Father. It was designed to do that. Life, not talking about God, but life itself was designed to tilt the scale to which you would do which would reveal the real you. One thing I know, the older you get, young people, life reveals the real you. You cannot fake it anymore. Every old person in this room will say the real you came out when life got really hard. Whether you truly trusted the Father when you felt He neglected you, turned His back on you, if He's so good, why did my kid get in a car wreck? I don't know, but in this moment of a pierced soul, I remember what she said to me. We were in Orlando, Florida when they called me and I'm talking to a stranger on the phone that says your brother and your, his wife and son have been in a terrible accident. We do not know if he's going to make it. The ambulance is on the scene. And then the granddaughter calls. I have to go find my parents. We were at a conference. I got him out. I said, uh, Gary's been in a terrible accident with Tammy and Sam. Don't know if Gary's going to make it. And my mother immediately does what all mothers do. Sobbing, weeping. My boy, my boy, we go up to the hotel room. We're there. We're trying to make phone calls. Bad news everywhere. I'll never forget what she said. Man, it burned itself in me because she said, hang on a minute. I got to go to the room in here. And she said, I got to get with God for a minute. And she shut herself in the little side room. And out of the side room, I could hear, I heard the groanings of a mother that just began to groan from the Spirit of God. Why? Because the pierced soul opened the real her up and out came God. Because of one thing, when the soul is pierced, whatever you have been putting in will come out. The anger will come out. The bitterness will come out. The grief will come out. Or somewhere in all of that, the power of God begins to come out because the pierced soul is the dividing line of those who fall and those who rise. And I wish in my best shepherding ability I could tell you you'll never be pierced. I wish I could tell you that. But I know the enemy is a terrible enemy. And I know life, sometimes you just have trouble because we live in a sorry, no good, fallen world. And it just sometimes does us wrong. But in those moments where you weren't expecting the phone call and things didn't turn out are the moments to where the soul is split open and Ned, you either can fall or you can dust yourself off and rise. But you get to pick. 
And I will just say, if many oppose him, this is what I've learned in my own faith walk, because of the prophecy that many oppose him, when most are pierced, most don't run to him. Most run to the habits, the addictions, the me, the self-fulfilling prophecies. I'll save myself. And we dig ourselves even deeper in a hole. And it's hard. I'm not telling you it's a fun thing. I, I don't wish life to pierce any of us. I don't wish that on, on my worst enemy. But sometimes life does. And, and when it does, oh, I pray what comes out of you is the Lord God Almighty. I pray that somebody has poured into you enough life or that you're hanging out with some people that can, when your soul is pierced open, they can look at you and say, get up off the ground. We're not going to let you fall. We're going to rise together if we do anything. It's what Ryan was talking about, community, other brothers and sisters that drag you through the mud to get you to the place where God wants you to be. So here's the thought of the day. And I had to ask myself this question as me and Michael were having a conversation about little Johnny Love and why? Why would she be sick? Why doesn't God heal her? We've been praying and praying and praying and every time they run another test, it, she's not healed yet. And so we start having this father-son-in-law conversation and, you know, does God heal today? Yes. If it's yes, then Why? And if it's why, then why not mine? Why not my kid? All those questions that arise when your soul is being pierced, when you're the one that your soul is crushed and you're trying to find the whys of life and the what's of life. And this question arose in me, what's the point of even believing if the end result is nothing more than my perished soul, my pierced soul? Why believe in God if bad things happen to all of us? I thought the reason I believed in God is so nothing bad would happen to me. Isn't that why we believe in God? Isn't He the God of all the poor pitiful people that really need Him? Because if you really think about it, that's kind of what we've done to religion. That religion is more for us poor, needy, broke, lonely, depressed, sick people. Like that's kind of the American way we preach Jesus. Like... If your marriage is broken, come to Jesus, he'll fix it. If you need to get in college, ask him, he'll get you in. If you need a new job, ask him, he'll give you a job. If, if you need him to fix your marriage, he'll fix it. If you need him to heal your kid, he'll heal your kid. If you need him to give you a raise, he'll give you a raise. If you need him to deal with your neighbor that's a jerk, he'll do that too. Come to the God that does everything for you. You need him. That's why you're miserable. That's why you're poor, that's why you're broke, that's why you're depressed, that's why you're an addict, that's why you're a, yeah, so come to him and he will fix you that's the Jesus we preach to people, he's the Jesus that fixes all of life the only problem is when life isn't fixed how do we still sell that God so what we have is a lot of agnostics who go well I thought you told me he was a healer and if he is my mother still died of cancer, I'm peace out because we can't reconcile a fixing God. I call him the mechanic. Jesus the mechanic. He fixes everything. Run to him. Pay the price he asks for you. And then he'll fix it for you. And then if he doesn't fix it, just keep believing, baby, because he will fix it. 
But then when he doesn't fix it and a kid dies anyway or my wife leaves me anyway or the cancer comes anyway and it's all the anyways, the mind starts going, if, if he is, then you got to explain it because it's not working for me, man. I don't get the magic. If my soul is going to be pierced anyway, why serve him? Even Ted Turner, the business mogul of Atlanta, said back in the 80s, I believe, maybe the early 90s, he said religion is nothing more than a crutch for people. Meaning rich people don't really need it. We have everything we need. And you know, it's kind of weird in America. It's sort of true that wealthy, lot, people that got lots of money whose life is going well, they run great businesses, they have great families, they come from great stock, they have a great retirement. Like, you just really don't need Jesus. Like, here's the weird thing. I can have a great house without Jesus, a great marriage without Jesus, a long life without Jesus, a good job without Jesus. I can be an entrepreneur without Jesus. I really don't need Jesus for all the things you Christians tell me I need Jesus for. I don't need Jesus for a great marriage. I can have a great marriage without Jesus. I don't need Jesus to be a millionaire. I can just get a business degree and be a smart business person and I can become a millionaire. I don't need Jesus to fix a marriage. I can go to counseling. I don't need Jesus to fix all my brothers. That's why we're educated. We're not stupid. We go to college. We learn. I don't need Jesus to heal me. That's why they give us medical doctors. Just go to a medical doctor. You don't need Jesus to heal a headache. Shiloh, take an Advil, man. Come on. But this Jesus that we sell everybody, this, this Jesus is just for anemic people. This Jesus is just for depressed, poor people. Even Jesus said it himself, how hard it is for a rich person to come into my kingdom. Why? Because if you only sell me for needy things, you don't need me if you got a lot of money. Even Jesus said how hard for a rich person to get this. Because what you're selling to people is I fix everything and rich people don't need anything fixed. They can fix it themselves. And so what the real truth of faith is, is Jesus is not a mechanic. <laughs> if nothing ever gets fixed, he's still God. If nobody gets healed, he's still a healer. If nobody ever gets their marriage fixed, he's still a marriage fixer. Because he's God. But yet to really get more people to come to church to fill it up so we can be the fastest growing church on the corner it's to tell you Elijah, he's the answer for everything. He answers everything. And then Elijah grows up and says, well, he answers everything? So I don't need... Oh, it's just a weird theology. But, but wait, he is, he is the I am that I am and he is the way maker. And, phew, it's just so confusing. <laughs> The next thought I had was this. The point of faith to be meaningful, you have to look beyond earthly results. If faith is only connected to earthly things, it's just not that meaningful. Because I can get a new car without Jesus if I can just get good credit. I can have a good marriage if I marry a good woman. And really, if I'm kind of had a hard day, I really don't know if I need the Holy Ghost because I'm telling you, man, a Corona light with a lime on top does about the same thing. It just mellows you out, especially after about three of them. You're just like, peace of the Lord's in the room, man. I'm good. Right? I mean, if it's only earthly results, years ago I was watching Johnny Carson. Anybody remember him? The good old days? Yeah, it's all the old people. <laughs> Johnny Carson... 
He had a gentleman on that was 102 years old. And he said to the gentleman, well, we'd like to know your secret. How did you get to be 102? You ready for his brilliant theology? Every night I drank a shot of whiskey and smoked a cigar. I called my dad that night. I said, Dad, I just found out. I've always thought he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the other mighty. I'll say the Lord is my refuge, my God, and with long life is satisfied. I just found out on Johnny Carson. You don't even need God. You need a shot of whiskey and a cigar every night. You can live to be 102. Like a hundred, this guy, a hundred and two. And then I started trying to figure this out. Okay, whiskey, I get it. Whiskey kills anything. You don't need vaccines, baby. You need whiskey. Coronavirus, whiskey. It'll kill it. It'll kill worms. It will kill a cold. It will kill the flu. It will kill. Cigar, never figured it out, except I tried to smoke one once, and I thought, I think it's just because it smells so bad it keeps people away. And you're just by yourself, right? So, okay, I thought, no wonder you made it 102. You just be alone and you kill everything in your body with a shot of whiskey. That even the world can get to 100 years old, but then you hear a 32-year-old person that believed in Jesus died of cancer who never drank whiskey, served God, prayed to God, fasted, gave offerings, gave time, 32 dead, pancreatic cancer, adios. And the whiskey-drinking Smoker, 102. And you tell me God is the answer to my life. Jesus is the one that gives me all I need. Yeah, bro, it's not working for me. Statistically not working. Just as many people die with Jesus as without Jesus. Just as many people live to 80 as without Jesus. Just as many people can have a good marriage as without Jesus. Matter of fact, statistically, there's probably just as many bad marriages right now in the room as good ones. And you all love Jesus. It's just a joke. That's what the world tells us of this Jesus that we've sold to you. Like he's a salesperson. Like it's a pyramid scheme. So here's Jesus. How do I get beyond earthly faith? And this is what he says in John 8. This is Jesus now as an adult. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, so that's me and you, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, meaning he knows the prophecy's true. Life can hit you and you'll either rise or fall. But he said if you'll remain faithful to my teaching and know the truth, the truth will do what? Okay, so now Jesus is going to tell me something about himself and faith in him. That there is a freedom he promises, but it's obviously not the same kind of freedom the world promises. The world will promise you a freedom. Sell your soul to them, they'll give you everything. But he steps in and says, well, okay, there's just a different truth, but it is about a freedom. Because what I have found in my faith journey, whether you're on the falling side or the rising side, we're all looking for the same thing, peace, freedom. Freedom from the pain, the problems, the sorrows, the debt, the money, the misery. And if I'm on this side, freedom from the pain, the sorrow, the debt, the misery. We're both looking for the same thing. Even the agnostics looking for the same thing. We're trying to balance it all out. So Jesus comes and says, well, there is a freedom that I'm about. And here's the next verse, John 8. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? 
In other words, is there a freedom outside of religion? Is there a freedom outside of retirement? Is there a freedom outside of jobs and money and education and doctors and all of that? Is there, is there a real freedom? Because their, their mind can't get it. There, there could be a freedom outside of what we experience here on the earth. And Jesus replies, well, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin, and a slave is not a permanent member of the family. And now Jesus begins to refer to freedom. Freedom is not just the absence of problems. Freedom is a belonging to a family. Freedom is that I belong to a family. It's not that I don't have problems. We all have problems. It's just that now I realize that even if there's a family I can belong to. And then he says this, a slave is not a permanent member, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. Now Jesus connected my freedom, not to an absence of problems, but to the belonging of a family. And there is something supernatural when I start realizing what it means to belong to God. Because if I'm not careful, I sell to belong to God means nothing bad ever comes your way. It's just rose gardens, baby. Or then that weird thing we say, well, with every rose, there's a thorn. Okay, that doesn't help me a bit. But the reality is that's true on, on either side, on the God side, on the world side. You get some good, you get some bad. On God's side, there's some good and there's some bad. And so the way we sell Jesus is we try to trick you into thinking there's just more good over here and hardly anything bad ever comes. And then you kind of put your foot over and go, well, I guess I'll try it then. If you tell me he'll fix our terrible marriage. And then eight months later, the marriage is still terrible. And we just, nothing's working. Their husband's still an alcoholic. We're just believe, just believe, just believe, just keep believing. Don't give up, don't give up. Because what we're selling him is the mechanic Jesus. And he'll fix it all. I'm not saying he won't fix it all because I believe he will. But if I'm not careful, I buy into the wrong thing. And it's not that I don't believe he won't heal and not that I don't believe he won't fix the marriage and I not believe I don't believe it's not a good life over here. It's just if you're not careful, you sell the wrong thing. And then your faith is in the stuff rather than in the stuffer. And it just doesn't make sense anymore. So then he says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Like he always has to say that. Like we, we humans just think he's lying. Like he always says, Verily, I tell you the truth. In other words, y'all aren't going to believe me because it's already been prophesied. Most of you will oppose me and think I'm weird, but I just want to tell you the truth anyway. Here's the truth. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. And then the next scripture and since I'm telling you the truth, <laughs> you don't believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. And in this statement, the reality of faith is finally uncovered. Because there will be those that rise and those that fall. And the soul of humans will be pierced, but that piercing will expose the deepest parts of humanity. And, P.S., when the deepest parts of your soul are exposed, and I tell you the truth, it will be exposed. Know this, in that moment, it will determine 
Do you belong to me or do you not? And if we're not careful, we teach people the only reason you know you belong is everything works for you. And as soon as it doesn't work, I suddenly feel as I don't belong and the world, the world, is always having a party and calling you. Hey, bro, we're getting together Friday. Break one nine, come. The world is always fishing. It's always better on our side. It's funner over here. There's no stress over here. And if there is stress, you can drink it away. You don't have to have early morning prayer. You don't have to do the Bible. It's always screaming at me. So I have to settle, and this is where I'll ask you, do you or don't you belong to God? Because every time the piercing comes, Diane, it's that moment to feel as if you've been abandoned and you're an orphan. Because where is God if he loves me? I feel like he's abandoned me. I feel like I don't belong to a family. I feel like I'm some orphan who never gets their prayers answered. So I want to do something real quick. Three things of how do you know you belong to God when your soul is pierced. To understand what it means to belong to God, this is just my opinion here, it is the truest definition of faith's freedom. When you have faith, you're to be free. And the freedom is not that everything goes well. Sometimes it does. Sometimes there are some battles. But the freedom is I belong to him. And if I belong to him, hmm, glory. He fights my battles. He is my peace. He is my healer. He is my redeemer. I just have to keep reminding myself I belong to him. But, but, but your prayer didn't get answered. Shut up, devil. I belong to him. But if you belong to him, why did your wife get shut up, devil? I belong to him. He's my healer. Well, if he was your healer, your wife couldn't get prayed. Shut up, devil. She's still alive. And as long as she's breathing, there's life. I just have to constantly bring myself back to, I don't belong to him because everything's working. I just belong to him. And then he works it out. So that's where I have to land on. I belong. He works it out. So I want to go through these three things I've landed on in my own journey. I want to download them to you. They've helped me. I pray they help you. Because when you find your soul being pierced with the questions of why, when, and how, and why me, I have found peace in the things I'm about to share. I'll I'll be brief with them. Let you study them. But they bring me great peace in the middle of a battle when I'm wanting to fall rather than rise. And these three things every time turn me to God and help me rise so that I find myself in the battle on the right side of faith with my heart being revealed. Here's the first one. I'm adopted. It doesn't matter if my life works or not. I'm adopted. Now, to understand adoption, I'll be quick. It means your original parent didn't want you or couldn't provide for you. That's the reason you were put up for adoption. Your original parent didn't want you or they couldn't provide for your needs. So they dropped you off at a facility and they put you up for sale. We call it adoption. This is higher than natural born parent. Because a natural born parent has to keep you whether they chose you or not. 
because they got pregnant with you. And now we offer, I want to go the abortion route. But adoption is the highest thing because you were unwanted by your original birth parent or uncared for or couldn't care for. And somebody stranger came along and said, I'll choose that one. I will take them on my team and pay for all of their bills and all of their medical. They're not even mine, but I want them anyway. Now the word adopted for me and you means your original father, the devil, doesn't want you at all. We think he wants us. He doesn't want you. He hates you. He's a murderer. He lies to you to deceive you to think he wants you. He doesn't want you. And he cannot provide for you. Although his worldly system says he can. Work hard for me, get more money, get more hours, get, get retirement, get your gold watch. I will provide, I will provide. But what he cannot do is provide for me. Because at every spot along his plan, I always hit a wall of misery and more. Misery and more. So God chooses a word called adopted to really drive home what faith is. They didn't want you. They can't provide for you. I want you. I'll provide for you. Listen to the scripture in Ephesians 1. Even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us. That's just mind-blowing. That gives me hope that God doesn't pick me because I'm so spiritual. Before Mark was even here, God chose Mark. So God's up in heaven going, I'm going to pick Diane on my team. And the angel's like, who? Diane. Who's Diane? Oh, y'all don't know. She's coming a long time from now. But I pick her. I choose her on my team. Chose you, Shiloh, before you were ever born, before your mother ever knew, before your parents ever got married, before your grandparents got married, before your great-grandparents, before the world was ever created. God looked down and said, I love Shiloh, I want him on my team. I love everything about him. So God decided in advance to adopt us into his family. Just to help you understand adoption again, you, you have to have grown up pudgy to understand the power of this. I grew up pudgy. In the 70s, it was called husky. <laughs> J.C. Penney's and Sears had a nice department called the husky department. It had a big H-U-S-K-Y on the wall, about as big as that wall, said husky department. So when little fat kids walked in, they didn't call you fat kid, you just went to the husky department because the normal clothes don't fit fat kids and this is politically incorrect days, we could call you husky. And so my mother would take me to the Gadsden Mall, we would go into JCPenney's, we would turn to the left because that's where the, all the husky clothes were. The real cool clothes were over here on these beautiful mannequins, the husky clothes were in the back left corner. It's where people with big bellies went and we shopped in the husky department. And we tried to look normal, but we couldn't because the husky clothes were never made like normal clothes. And so I wore huskies for a long time. And mother would do what mothers do. You're just beautiful. You're just my little boy. Here's another Oreo. My little husky belly hanging out. So to understand how this affects all of us is you go to first grade, you're still husky. You got on your nice new 
you know, school clothes, your school shirt, your school husky pants, your husky shoes, and you go down, you got your little husky alligator on because you can't fit in real eyes odds, so you get the husky alligator eyes odd. Not even real eyes odds, like a crocodile. And it's just like, that's what you got to wear. And so you show up, and now it's P.E. Anybody remember when we used to get P.E.? That's when we didn't have Ridlin, so they had to send us outside and just play for an hour. Now you just get them on Ridlin, keep them inside all day. But they didn't have Ridlin, so we called it recess. And the teachers just sat and drank whiskey while we killed each other outside. We'd come in bloody, beat up. It didn't matter, man. It's recess. That's where we got rid of ADHD out there. And so I'm out on the playground. Husky. Well, on the playground when they play sports and chase and team, guess where the husky people are? You're always last. Always. So it's like, I'll take Billy. I'll take Susie. I'll take Johnny. I'll take Carrie. I'll take... uh, And they get all the way... And you're just watching the whole flock of people divide onto the rights and the lefts and divide on the rising and the fall. And huskies are just... Just sitting there. And so here's how, this is not all the time, but the majority of the time, this is how it went down. Okay, who wants Mark? (laughs) Like, that's how I got on a team. Who wants Mark? And then everybody's like, yeah, y'all take him. Right? I mean, that's, that's what it felt like to grow up a husky kid until Red Rover. When we played Red Rover, Husky Mark got picked first. Cause Husky Mark will break an arm, man. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Husky Mark over. Uh. And when I went through the arm break, man, I was going to break an arm, man. You want a Husky kid when you play Red Rover. Well, God knows. God knew that you would grow up in a world trying to identify, be skinny enough, pretty enough, rich enough, popular enough, famous enough, get enough likes, have enough people love you, and it would drive you insane that people would love you and care about you and think you're all hot, hip, cool, your cut-off pants, your skinny jeans, your abs. That's what we strive for. And the Lord said, man, here's what I want to do. I just want all you fat miserable, lazy, no good, sloppy, sorry, conniving, sniveling, whining, complaining, worthless people. I want all them on my team. And here's what's funny. That was all of you. Because you were all worthless, hopeless, deserve nothing. Because your father, the devil, didn't want you And wasn't going to provide for you. So God said, I'll adopt him. Now listen to this. And I want him in my family. And I love the pink words and purple. Because that's what I want to do. And that makes me happy. Now when you start there, faith becomes worthwhile. It's not all going my way, but he wants me on his team. He's picked me. He loves me. And if he adopted me, He'll never abandon me because adopted parents don't get rid of their children. They picked them. I will never be abandoned. That's what an adopted kid thinks. I will never be abandoned. An orphan thinks abandonment, but you've been adopted. So in the middle of your wife's got breast cancer, what are you going to do? I had to reel myself when my deepest thoughts are being revealed. I had to lean on, he'll never abandon me. I don't care what the doctors say. I will never be abandoned. I don't care how lonely and depressed it feels. He will never, ever, ever abandon me. 
because I'm part of his family. And that's when I showed up on that Sunday and said, would y'all please take communion as my family? And power came. The second thing I've learned is this. I'm forgiven. It's the highest part of faith. It's not what Jesus can fix. It's what he's forgiven. He's not a mechanic Jesus. He's the Savior. Listen to this scripture in Ephesians. So we praise God, the grace he's poured out on us who belong. He's so rich in his kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. In other words, when Jesus says you're free, he doesn't mean that your bills are always paid. He doesn't mean that your car always cranks. He doesn't mean that you might not sprain an ankle. He doesn't mean that you might not fall and scrape scrape your knee. He doesn't mean that you won't ever see anybody die. What he means when he says freedom is you're forgiven. I hold nothing against you, Mark. Nothing against you. I have eradicated. So here's what I land on when I start going, well, if Jesus is a healer, why didn't he heal everybody? I kind of reel myself out of that and go, no, no, no. He never promised you he would heal everybody. He promised you he would forgive everybody. The healing of everybody is really speculative because a lot of people do and a lot of people don't and some get healed and some still die sick and some die young and some die old. And But what he did promise me is all of these people are forgiven. And sometimes we dwell on the lesser. The why didn't my car start? Well, why did my mother and why did my dad and why did my uncle and why did babies and why did... We dwell on the lesser things of faith rather than the greater. All people are forgiven. And so sometimes when I feel like I'm fighting these questions of life, I go back to, hey, here's what I'm certain of, is that we're all forgiven. I don't know what time you're going to get up there, but if you believe in him and get up there at 12, you're forgiven. If you get up there at 82 with a shot of whiskey, you're forgiven. He forgives us all. And so now life becomes worth living because I'm forgiven, and I want to tell other people they're forgiven. And now my faith is in I'm forgiven and not does my life work, but in that I've been forgiven. And it brings me great hope. It brings me hope to do what? That when my life's not working and I'm not getting my prayers answered, how do you say, how does that give me hope? Because, well, if I'm forgiven and I've been chosen and adopted, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep believing he heals me. I'm going to keep believing he's a giver. I'm going to keep, I'm just, why? Because he'll never abandon me. And then we throw the scripture, now you know all things are yes and amen in Jesus. And all of the promises of God, Brother Mark, are yes, yay, and amen in Jesus. And then I have, well, if they're yes and amen, why did they die? Because I prayed constantly for my friend Matt. He died anyway. And you tell me all the promises of God are yes. I'm quoting Isaiah. I'm quoting by his stripes were healed. I'm laying hands on the sick, but they're not recovering. I've anointed with oil with the elders, and God didn't raise him up anyway. Hello? So it must not work. Yep, I'm out. Peace out. Bye. Or I land on what if? Because I'm going to live on this earth as if he's going to heal everybody. I'm going to pray like he's going to heal everybody. I'm going to believe like he's going to heal everybody. I'm going to believe for favor and grace and power. Because if I'm on this planet and I've been chosen and adopted and forgiven, I'm not going to live like some lowly, poor, pitiful me kid. I'm going to live like i got the best daddy in the world. A daddy that will heal, redeem, restore, bring you peace. So I'm going to at least live on the high side of faith rather than the low side of faith. Well, good luck. You never know what he'll do. I at least want to err on the high side. So I'm going to pray for everybody. 
I'm going to believe you're going to be healed. And if somebody gets healed, hallelujah. If somebody doesn't, hallelujah. How can you say hallelujah if they don't get healed? The last one is because I'll never die. And this is the weirdest side of the Christian faith. We don't die. And you may say, well, now we do because you just said Matt died and your wife Monica died and, you know, my kid died, my son died, my daughter died, my mother died, my dad, we all died. That's because the world tells you that the only thing to live for is here. And when this is over, we bury you and we sing Amazing Grace, we talk out of Psalm 23, we clap, we say something nice, we put a headstone, we bury you, put grass over you and go, there they were. But not Jesus. He says, when I believe in him, I never die. So then when I start hearing, well, then so-and-so died, but they didn't get healed. I say, okay, all right, this is going to sound really weird. Don't mean it weird, but he's not dead. No, no, Mark, they died. We did a funeral. It cost 12 grand. We had to put him in the ground, and there he is in the ground. I saw him. They embalmed him. We're there. We covered him up. He's there. I know. I know he's there. He died. Okay, I know this stings. You're the parent. It hurts. He's not dead. He's healed now. No, no, he's not healed because he died of cancer. No, no, he's not healed. He died in a car wreck. No, no, he's not healed. No, no, she's not healed because this killed them. Oh, yep, 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 yep. They're healed. They're not dead. They are dead and they're not healed because I don't have them anymore. Oh, now... It's becoming true. Now you're telling that the only way God is truthful is it has to appease you. And when it has to appease me, I become God. And that hurts. Because that doesn't grow churches, but it sure does make for strong faith. Because I hope this helps you. When we believe in Jesus and die, we're not dead. Jesus even says, let's go get Lazarus, he's just asleep. Paul even says, and he will come, and those that have fallen asleep. We're just asleep. To die is to be present with God. I don't know if this will help you. I don't mean it rude. I've lost my wife before. I buried great friends. So I do understand the pain of an earthly side. I understand the crying and the loneliness from the earthly side. But from the heavenly side, it goes something like this. Tragic death, boom. Heavenly side, oh, yes! Yes, yes, yes! I made it! Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. What are they doing? No, I don't want to come back. Stop it! Stop praying over me! No, don't you let them, no, 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 no. I know you talk about being raised from the dead. No, I don't want to go back to Douglasville. No. (laughs) If you send me anywhere, Cabo, not Douglasville. Please, please, please don't make me go back. Uh, No, hey, better idea, go get them up here. (laughs) Right? Like that's the reality. The reality is nobody wants to come back here. They're alive. Grandmama's alive. Granddaddy's alive. My boy's alive. My wife's alive. My uncles are alive. We're still living. And we're all down here like, oh, don't you know they wanted to come back and just drive a car? 
oh, just get married and have a child. Why? Because when earth is God, that's all we know. When earth becomes my God, earth is my Savior. We can't let the loved ones go because I get ripped off. I get lonely. I get depressed. I have to drink my sorrows away. I feel guilty. But not one person that I would know in heaven wants to come back here. And if they do come back, they only want to come back on a horse with him. Everybody, hey, man, I'm good. I'm good to go back, but I'm not going to you go. You go first, I'll ride behind you. Don't, I'm not going first. You get on a horse, I'll get on a horse. I'm allergic to him, but I'll go anyway. But there's a mentality of our earthly faith that sells your soul to Mother Earth. And when, when we die, we're, we're lonely and sad and hurt and it just doesn't make sense until Jesus says this in John 8. I'll go back to Luke 2. Go, go to Luke 2. It's there. Simeon, back to the story. I'm going to ask the band to come up, Josh, because we're going to end with communion. He said he took the child in his arms. This is back to Luke 2. Sovereign Lord, let me die in peace as you've promised and then look where his peace came from because I saw salvation. You see, this is where true peace comes from. It comes from your salvation. Peace doesn't come that everything in your life works. Peace comes because you're adopted, forgiven, and that is called saved. And if you're saved, weird, you never die. You just step over into another world. And as strange as that is, the angels in heaven are clapping when a loved one comes to the family. We're down here crying. They're up there rejoicing that the father has seen one of his kids come home. Mom and dad who have older kids, oh, the joy when a child comes home, a grandchild comes home, and you hold the grandchild in your arms. You see them at Christmas, man, family joys everywhere. Imagine how God feels when one of his kids steps across the threshold of the spirit world and runs to the arms of the Savior and is in the arms of Jesus. True freedom. How he must feel. And then I wonder how he feels when he looks down here and those of us that say we love him are consistently critical of him and denying him and opposing him when he really says, if you believe in me, John 8, with this final scripture, if you believe in me, who, he who does will never die. The one that does never dies. Here's the conclusion. When life pierces your soul and things don't seem to be in your favor, remember this. I'm an adopted child of God with a guarantee that all things will work out because I'm not ever going to die. I, I wished it all worked out right here on planet Earth and I, that's my prayers, that's my faith. But God didn't tell you he would work it out here on planet Earth. He just says, I'll work it out. So that I believe those of us who trust in the Lord are never ashamed or regretful. Because whether here or in the eternal realm, he works it out. And there's never any regret. To those on the other side of eternity, no regret. And to those of us who stand in faith, no regret. 
bow your heads. I want to pray for you as you end the year. I don't know where your faith is. I, I, I could not attend to know everybody's theology. And I never ask you to believe my theology. I try to put it out to increase your thinking and your study of the Word of God. But I do feel certain enough to say everybody in this room, if you believe, has been adopted. Everybody in this room, if you believe, has been forgiven. And everybody in this room, if you believe, you'll live forever. And I feel 100% certain on that, I can put my faith. You're forgiven, you're adopted, and you'll never die. Everything else, hold the line, grab a scripture, fight, battle, agree, stand, quote, worship, praise. Because the battle on earth is real. The soul gets pierced. Things happen we don't want to happen. But in those moments, open up your faith and let your faith be revealed. And when it's revealed, reel yourself back to, no, I'm adopted. I am part of his family. I have been forgiven and I will never die. And then once you land on those things, you begin to pray all heaven down. You begin to quote the word of the Lord. You begin to stand on his promises because at that point, your faith is not built in results. Your faith is built in resurrection. Your faith is built in redemption. Your faith is not built on will God, when God, and why God. Your faith is built on what he's already done for you. And that creates a great great faith of a Christian to stand in the middle of darkness and pray when it feels like it doesn't work and believe when it feels like believing doesn't work and believe in healing when it seems like everybody's dying and believe in peace when it seems like so many people are depressed and believe in freedom when it seems like so many people are fearful because those of us that have the faith that we've been forgiven and we've been adopted and will never die, those of us that believe that are much greater for the battle when the soul is being pierced than those of us who just serve a mechanical Jesus of all the results of the four-leaf clover Jesus, of the Jesus of the genie and the lamp. No, but hold on. You've been adopted. You're forgiven and you'll live forever. Now pray. Now war with your greatest faith. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover because out of that faith, great faith can grow. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I ask, Lord, that you would open our heart and our mind. Now, would you do me a favor and stand with me, if you will? Uh, if you're new here, this is how we end. We try to end very thoughtful to we've done our human part, and now we come to the communion table for the supernatural part of where the Holy Spirit engages your life. And so we have our baskets up here for those that give to this house and call this home. They bring their offerings and they give. And then in front of every table are, are the juice and the elements already prepared and prayed over. And when you come today, I want you to come that you've been adopted. I don't know what problems you have. I don't know what you need the Lord to do. But as you take this communion, you're adopted and forgiven and you'll never die. And then as you settle that, I just want you to think, what do you need now, God, to do for you? He doesn't mind you asking. He even encourages you to ask. But you're learning now to ask because of resurrection and not results only. So what do you need this Jesus that adopted you to do? Ask of me. 
I'll give you the nations. Ask and you shall receive. And let your faith grow this year as we walk it out together. So pray this prayer with me. At the end of the prayer, you may come and partake of communion. Josh is going to lead us in a very familiar worship tune. I just encourage you, before you kind of run out the door and you're, you're free to go at any time, I want to encourage you maybe since we're kind of sliding into a new year that you'd stay around maybe a minute or two longer and just maybe make an altar at your chair, kneel here. Our elders are on my left and right to pray if you need specific prayer. We'd love to pray for you. But maybe as we prepare to go to 2021, just a little longer, just to worship and solidify your faith before you leave today. In Jesus' name. Pray this with me and then you may come be dismissed. Heavenly Father, today I repent that earth is my God. The earth owes me nothing. I now belong to you. You've adopted me and I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me, but I believe he lives for me. I call him my Savior. And I've been forgiven. And now that I'm forgiven, I thank you too. I shall never die. I have eternal life. Let my faith grow as I take this communion now to celebrate what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 